Hello, and welcome to the first episode of EquiNow, a show about healthcare insights from the experts. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. Today, we'll talk about strategies for ensuring safe vaccine administration and take a look at emerging tech hazards in healthcare. But first, we'll take a trip to our lab and have a talk with Ishmael Cordero, a senior project officer with the device evaluation team here at Equity. His work is always focused on assuring the safety of patients who rely on devices he's evaluating. In the case of a recent nationwide recall, he also happens to be one of those patients. Here in the Equity Labs, Ishmael Cordero is evaluating subglottic aspiration devices, which are getting renewed attention during the COVID-19 pandemic as more patients require ventilation. Ishmael is also a patient who uses a continuous positive airway pressure or CPAP machine, which have been the subject of a recent nationwide recall. You recently you had some interviews um, with a couple different media outlets around some recalls for continuous positive airway pressure devices. What happened that, that led us down, led you down the road to talking to some of those media outlets? Sure, so working for ECRI, I have a, uh, an advantage that I get to see all the alerts we put out, the messages we send to our uh, clients telling them about potential hazards with medical devices. I happened to see one on the Philips CPAP recall, and I noticed that one of the models listed of the affected models was one that I was using, because mm. I'm a CPAP uh, user myself, because I've had it for like 20 to 30 years now. And the device I had was about 12 years old, so one of the older units, but it was listed in, in the list of affected devices, and I, that's how I discovered it. But that highlights sort of a problem, right, is that as these devices are moving out of the healthcare environment and into personal use settings, home settings, are we seeing a similar breakdown now where that recall information isn't getting to the home user, the consumer user? Absolutely. Big manufacturers are used to dealing with uh, big distributors um, or hospitals, big hospital systems. They're not used to dealing with patients directly. And the number of patients directly that they would have to deal with is, you know, 100 times what they deal with. Sure. More care is moving towards the home environment. That's going to become the reality where the manufacturer needs to know who's using their devices and who to inform in case there's a recall or, or a field no notification of a potential problem. So that's a move manufacturers are gonna to have to make in the coming years as to how do they communicate to their individual users about these sort of problems. Because going through hospitals and uh, durable medical equipment providers uh, obviously did not work. Like, a lot right. of patients did not know or they found out too late or were afraid to stop using their device because they could you know, stop breathing during the middle of the night. What so, does that feel like when you're not using your CPAP? If you, if you ever find yourself in that situation, what does that feel like? ECRI did an alert on, on these uh, CPAP uh, recalls for, mm -hmm. for its members. And as part of that investigation, I brought in my own CPAP machine and was testing it and fiddling with it. And in the process, I managed to to break it. <laughs> so I went a few weeks without a CPAP machine. And I can tell you it's like the worst sleep I've ever had in, in mm. 20 years. Uh, you wake up multiple times in the middle of the night. You can't breathe. Uh, you don't feel well rested the next day. You, you, know, you can fall asleep at a, at a stop sign or a red light. Mm. So it's, for me, it's, it's pretty severe. So. Yeah. And, you know, I'm lucky that I, previous to ACRI, I worked with 
maintenance and repair of medical devices, so I was comfortable opening my own CPAP device and removing the, the foam that was supposed to disintegrate over time and get into your lungs. Uh, that was the cost of the recall, the, the, the disintegrating foam. So I just tore mine apart and took the foam out and put it back together and kept using it. Yeah. But your average patient is not right. going to be able to do that. The manufacturers aren't going to let every single home CPAP user tear apart their devices and make <laughs> modifications. That would be, That'd be a bad idea. That would be a bad idea, <laughs> yes, yes. You look at all different kinds of technologies. What did it feel like to all of a sudden be thinking about one that had a much more personal connection for you? Like, this is one I use now, not just, not just a theoretical. <laughs> it's good. It really, put, it really puts things into perspective and makes it real. It's not theoretical, academic, ivory tower kind of stuff. It's, yeah. it's real to you. It affects you personally. And it actually got me thinking about, you know, what future devices I may be on later on in my life at home, you know, mm -hmm. could be a dialysis machine, could be a ventilator. Uh, so that got me thinking into That's uh, interesting. how am I going to approach if I ever get uh, connected to those devices at home. Interesting. I'm probably going to think about them a lot and do a lot of research and ask a lot of questions and always be looking for certain things. Yeah. And I think, you know, every patient should do that, but mm -hmm. they're, they're just not used to doing that. To learn more about what the device evaluation team is up to, check out ECRI's lab webcast. Of course, CPAP recalls aren't the only healthcare story in the news. For almost three years now, the dominant healthcare headline has been around COVID-19. And you can't think about COVID-19 without thinking about vaccines. We sat down with Michael Gaughan, a pharmacist with the Institute for Safe Medication Practices, to talk about vaccine administration and how providers can make their process safer. Vaccines are widely available to help prevent infectious diseases, but just having them available isn't enough. They have to be administered safely too. ECRI and the ISMP PSO has been reviewing data and developing recommendations to support just that. I'm here with Michael Gaunt, a pharmacist with the Institute for Safe Medication Practices, to talk about some of what they've learned. Mike, I think it's probably pretty common knowledge, vaccines are important, but it can't hurt to reiterate that a little bit, right? So can you tell us a little bit about just why vaccines are so important as part of you know, the broader public health programs? Yeah, it's really probably considered one of the most successful kind of healthcare interventions we know. The WHO, the World Health Organization, has estimated that upwards of 5 million deaths are prevented each year from immunization. So certainly, um, they provide the opportunity and the, um, us the armament to prevent disease, prevent disability from things like polio um, and COVID um, and prevent deaths. And so now we have probably vaccines that you know, address more than 20 different illnesses. And so certainly over time that continues to grow. It's one thing to have the vaccines. It's another thing to um, <clears throat> administer them safely. So what are some things that can go wrong in the vaccine administration process? Right, sure. So, you know, like, as you mentioned, we've been looking at this data as part of the PSO. Um, and prior to that, ISMP has operated a reporting program as well uh, for the past decade or so, collecting errors. And so we do see errors happening at different stages, you know, whether it's the prescribing stage when the doctor's ordering it, um, 
whether how something's stored in the refrigerator, in the physician's office or the pharmacy, and even at the point of administration, right? So when that nurse or pharmacist or medical assistant is administering the vaccines, different things can go wrong. And how about scenarios where, you know, the wrong vaccine is administered? Like I show up for a flu vaccine and they give me, I don't know, the COVID shot or something like that. What are, what are some of the consequences of that potentially at least? Right. I mean, likely with, you know, with, for the most part with immunizations, there's not a tr tremendous risk of serious harm. I mean, there are some cases if you're allergic to one or things like that, you could have a you know, severe allergic reaction. But like in that scenario, you're probably less of a risk from getting the wrong vaccine. Like you might have some side effects like COVID. Most of us who've gotten the COVID vaccine have had those um, all, you know, kind of annoying, annoying effects like feeling fatigued and yeah. fever and things like that. Um, so that, for the most part, that's kind of the most of the risk you would, you would have. On the flip side is if it's not recognized, you're obviously not receiving the vaccine you should be. Right. And so then you're less protected potentially uh, for, the, for the illness that you're trying to get protected for because you didn't receive the, receive the right uh, vaccine. Another important aspect of the sprint, right, is that we've got members, participants talking to each other. How important is that collaboration? I think it's really important. I mean, I think we try to do this in the, for a number of different topics, but certainly in the vaccines. Um, we're reaching out to hospitals, we're reaching out to physician practices, um, and at, I think at times, we, and pharmacies, um, and I think at times we, we work kind of in silos, very much separated from each other. And so um, certainly one practice site, one pharmacy, one hospital is experiencing one thing, come up with strategies to fix that one thing. Um, but there's no easy way of really sharing that with other sites. And so having those safe tables and those collaborations and, and avenues and, and venues to get people together to talk um, and share learnings that they've had in their own practice site with others is, is immeasurable, I think. Um, I know at ISMP, like one of the big things we always see with vaccine error prevention or medication error prevention is Right, really taking advantage of trying to learn from others, learn from external sources of information, whether it's ECRI, the PSO, ISMP, um, or other or other organizations. And so, um, yeah, I think that's that's probably one of the, the key takeaways and key opportunities with the sprint. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about ECRI and the ISMP PSO go to ecri.org slash PSO. Healthcare faces more risks than just COVID-19, and many of those concerns are related to technology. For the past 15 years, we've published a list of the top technology-related hazards facing healthcare providers. I sat down with Rob Schluth, a project officer with our device evaluation team, who oversees the list each year. We discussed why the list is needed, how it's evolved over the years, and how it's been affected by COVID. Healthcare today faces many emerging challenges, often related to technology. With the rate at which it changes, it's hard for the healthcare industry to keep up. That's why I sat down with Rob Schluth, a project officer with our device evaluation team, to discuss our annual top 10 technology hazards list, which calls attention to some of the biggest tech challenges for the coming year. Rob, why do we produce every year a top 10 technology hazards report? Uh, don't people already know what their problems are? Uh, sure, I would say yes and no. Uh, some problems uh, device users are aware of, but they may not be aware that there's a solution to that problem. They may just 
find workarounds and, and keep doing things and never take the time or, or the information never may get to people who can actually do something to fix that problem. So they may just accept that there's a risk and keep doing that. Uh, there are also situations where um, problems can be under the radar. So things that are escaping observation or emerging issues. So with new technologies and practices, there could be hazards that are starting to emerge that escape notice. Most healthcare workers, for example, they're gonna be very focused on what they're doing day to day. They're gonna be worried about the patient who's right in front of them. Um, so they may not be able to kind of step back and see some of these things. So at ECRI, we can kind of take like the 30,000 foot view and maybe uh, observe things that otherwise could uh, be escaping notice. So at ECRI, since we were founded, we would serve as a clearinghouse for medical device problems. So people in the healthcare community could report an issue to us. We log it into our database. Uh, sometimes we'll investigate the issue to try and determine what the cause could be. Uh, so we're always collecting that kind of information. When we first produced the top 10 hazards list, we had in our mind, we keep seeing some of these same things over, over and over again. There's, there's got to be a way to get the word out to get more people to address these. Uh, so we created the list for that purpose. Uh, the whole reason for doing it was to prevent problems before they occur. So this kind of future looking thing. And that idea really kind of resonated. So the list started out being somewhat retrospective where we were focusing on the reports to us. And now it's a little more uh, predictive, I would say. So we look at other sources and we bring in um, more voices as we're selecting topics so that we can really try to identify things that are emerging, all with the goal of preventing harm before it happens. So in the current environment, post-COVID, middle of COVID kind of thing, uh, staffed are overworked, they're understaffed. Um, and that certainly affects clinical care, but it also can affect the way technology is used. So in that sort of environment, I think you uh, have a better chance for device use errors to occur or for there to be oversights. Uh, so when we're producing this list this year, we're really keeping in mind the, uh, the highly stressed environment in which caregivers are working. And we're trying to focus the solutions to be um, a, a little more useful uh, in that environment. Uh, so what I mean by that is if industry can design away a risk, that's going to be much more effective than trying to tell staff, you need to remember to do, do X, Y, and Z. So we're really trying to push for those sorts of um, engineering solutions. So an engineering control that eliminates a problem is going to be much better than, say, a training solution where you're just reminding staff you need to do this, this, and this. They're stretched to the limit. That's not going to be an effective way to deal with the issue. You, you mentioned COVID there. Mm -hmm. um, this will be our third report mm -hmm. coming out sort of in the, I'll say, in the COVID era. Sure. Uh, how has that changed, how we either approach the process or how we, how we write about these things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the past two lists, we certainly have had COVID-focused topics on there, things related to PPE and supply chain shortages. Um, infection control with COVID is obviously a big issue. And like I mentioned before, that's something that we've always kind of considered on our list. So we still do that as well. Um, but yeah, so the environment, the healthcare environment now um, has changed because of COVID. If manufacturers and industry can do more to support caregivers, design out some of these risks, we're all going to be better off. And it's also the, the pandemic has accelerated 
trends like moving healthcare away from a hospital or into the home setting. So we look at those sorts of settings as well, what sort of technologies are used there, what sort of problems can crop up. You know, a lot of the audience for this list I think of as folks who are responsible for, I'll say, purchasing or managing or even using the devices in the healthcare environment. Mm -hmm. But, you know, another audience sometimes is the patient. Mm -hmm. If I'm a patient, and we're all patients, uh, what's how can I think about what's on this list? Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. We're all patients, uh, either ourselves or our loved ones, people we care for. Uh, so we all have a vested interest in making healthcare safer, so reducing the possibilities for harm. So in our list, we're focusing on, on the role that healthcare technologies maybe play in um, leading to patient harm. So as a patient, I'm going to hope my providers have that same goal of reducing uh, the risk of medical errors, and I'm going to hope they have the tools at their disposal to do it. So our list is one tool that healthcare providers, um, organizations, device users can use to hopefully minimize these risks. If you'd like to see this year's top 10 technology hazards report, visit our website at ecri.org. Thanks for watching our first episode of ECRI Now. To find future episodes, go to ecri.org and look under our About page or go right to equi.org slash now. Until next time, I've been your host, Paul Anderson.